Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Amanda Gregg. I'm a senior geophysicist on our reservoir characterization team. And I'm Nadia Monaghan, a senior water engineer here at Avintos. Our third co-author, Danica Heath, couldn't join us today, but she's our geologist. Today, we're going to take you through how we've been managing saltwater disposal and seismicity in the Cadman Formation in Northeast British Columbia. So to start off, we have our obligatory legal disclaimer. Um, but I'll get right into our overview. So we're going to start off with an introduction about Ovinto's Water Resource Hub and why we're injecting into the cabinet. We'll take you chronologically through our induced seismicity history, uh, the data that we've collected over the last 18 months, and then we'll take you through our pressure management plan, the mitigative measures that we've implemented, and the results of those mitigations. A little bit of context for you. Ovintiv has been managing induced seismicity associated with hydraulic fracturing and saltwater disposal for about 13 years now, starting with our Horn River asset in Northeast British Columbia in 2008. Over the years, we have developed a risk management framework that has allowed us to successfully manage induced seismicity in both Canada and the US. And one of our top priorities always, re always remains maintaining public staff and op operational safety. And one of the factors that's led to some of our successes with in overcoming induced seismicity challenges is the collaboration that we've had internally on our multidisciplinary team, um, externally with academia, vendors, regulatory bodies, and with peer operators. So first off, responsible water management is a critical aspect of our operations across all asset areas. Here in the Dawson North area shown, uh, Ovintiv has invested in vast water infrastructure to support this responsible approach. And it includes uh, recycling um, that from our water resource hubs that are connected to recycling schemes, including both source and disposal wells drilled into deep saline aquifers, um, as well as the facilities that collect this water, store, treat, and redistribute it via the network of permanent water pipelines. With this investment in the water infrastructure, Ovintiv has been able to use up to 60 to 70% of the water used in completions annually uh, via recycled produced water. Over a five-year period, this will help offset upwards of 4.6 million cubic meters of fresh water, uh, equivalent to reducing traffic up by 150,000 truckloads. Today, we're going to focus in on one of the areas, our Tower Water Resource Hub in the north, which uses recycling in the Academy Reservoir. Ovinta ventured into the Academy in late 2016, drilling its first source well. And shortly after that, uh, we drilled two other source wells and three disposal wells. Shown in the map are the source wells in blue and the orange wells are the disposal well locations. So early on in the use of this uh, aquifer, uh, we had fairly balanced uh, production uh, and disposal. As development progressed in the area, our water production grew and we began to dispose more volume than we produced out of the reservoir. And uh, in 2019, began to see the net disposal uh, venture into the positive side. Currently, we've disposed approximately 1.3 million cubic meters of water into the reservoir. Uh, and we do anticipate utilizing this 
dynamic system which we both withdraw from and, and dispose into long term. Um, this will likely require ongoing kind of understanding of the induced seismicity and along the way in our operations uh, we have made several modifications in our operating strategies that we'll speak to today. Now we'll get into some of the geology details. So the Cataman is a lower Cretaceous formation, and in the Peace River Arch area in Northeast BC, it's comprised of fluvial sediments. In our area of interest, the Cataman is a unit of stacked channels, and it's primarily quartz-dominated sandstones with some interbedded conglomerates. And the Cataman has proven to be an excellent disposal reservoir, and that's because it has high porosity and it's continuous, laterally continuous. Uh, we see up to about 50 meters of thickness in our area, with over 30 meters of net pave that's over 9% by T. Our porosity typically ranges between 12 to 13%. And the catamint is vertically bounded by the guffing and the nicomassin, which acts as a barrier for any vertical fluid migration. So on the next slide, we're gonna get into some of the induced seismicity history, but before we do that, I wanted to make sure everybody's on the same page about seismic magnitudes. So seismic magnitudes are a measure of the strength of a seismic event. And we're using the Richter magnitude scale, which you'll likely be familiar with when natural earthquakes are reported on the news, they're typically using the Richter magnitude scale. Um, in Northeast BC, near the Dawson Creek area, we have low felt thresholds, which means that uh, people feel magnitudes around 1.7, which is quite low. Typically, it's closer to the magnitude two or three range. Um, the largest magnitude that we've had out of our Cadman Reservoir is a magnitude 3. And a magnitude 3 is about equivalent to the energy that would be released from a lightning bolt strike, um, if that lightning bolt were to strike in the subsurface. And if you're standing on the surface, the vibrations that you would feel from a magnitude 3 is kind of similar to what a semi driving over top of a ski bump would feel like, you, the, the vibrations you feel. So events magnitude 2 to 4 are likely to be felt but they're extremely unlikely to cause damage at that magnitude. So now we'll take a look at some of our induced seismicity history. So this goes back to July, 2019. That was when our first anomalous seismic event was reported to the BCOGC as felt, and there were no Monty completions or other completions going on in the area at that time. Um, prior to drilling and flowing the cadmium wells and Closing into them, we had done a, a detailed structural review and we haven't seen any cataman structure in the area. And so in July, July 2019, we, we took a look at that cataman structure again with the, the same results. Um, in December 2019, the BCOGC amended our well license for our disposal one well, and that was to include 24 7 enhanced induced seismicity monitoring. So we installed that array in January of 2020 was a five-station array. And one of the specifications of that array was that it had to have a hypocentral depth accuracy of plus or minus 500 meters. You can see from the map on the right, that's a, a model of what our hypocentral accuracy would look like with that five-station array. And we expected to have about 300 to 400 meters of depth accuracy. Um, in February, 2020, we started to get our first events coming in on that array. And we were able to confirm that some of the events in the area were coming from a shallow source that corresponded with the catamaran depth. Uh, so later in February, Oventiv voluntarily paused our disposal on disposal one well. Um, so we had zero injection going into that well for several months. 
one of the, the benefits of having that enhanced array out in the field was that in addition to having better depth accuracy, we were also able to see lower magnitude events and we had higher confidence on the XY locations of those events. So we were able to use some of those events to hone in on where these structures in the catamen were coming from. So I've got a cross section in the, the left, the top left here. Um, you can see if you look at the catamen, it's, it's relatively flat. There is not a lot of obvious structure happening at it. Um, I've centered this cross section so that you can perfectly see this structure though. So what I did was I started to look a little bit deeper at the Nordic, which is about 200 meters below the, the catamen. And you can see from this map here that we had only partial 3D coverage, but I was able to see an ellipse-shaped fault that ran through the Nordeg. And when I traced that down deeper, I could correlate it to the North Pine Salt, which is even deeper, 250 meters below the Nordeg. Um, so that, that North Pine Salt edge runs through the area. And it looks like at the edge of that fault, we've got, or at the edge of that salt, we've got a flower structure that has been raised up with respect to the, the surrounding sediments. Um, so this is a simplified geologic schematic that's showing what's happening in this area. And one of the big takeaways from this is that when you look at our, our disposal pool in Matthew, you can see that this disposal one well was actually drilled right through this fault block. So disposal two and disposal three are outside of it, but disposal one is actually inside the fault block. So we've collected data from January 2020 up until today, and we continue to do so. Um, but what I am demonstrating here are about eight months of data from June 2020 up until February 2021. Um, in the three panels, we have bottom hole pressure, and this is coming from the source wells in the pool. So there are bottom hole pressure gauges in the heels of these wells. Um, and that gives us a bit of a proxy to understand what's happening to the reservoir pressure um, in the catamen. The middle plot here is showing event count per day and it's color-coded by magnitude. So you can see um, the various seismic events that we've seen over this time period. And then the bottom panel is showing our injection volume in meters cubed per day. Um, and so if we walk through a timeline here, um, back in spring and into summer last year, we had relatively steady pressure. We had some steady background seismicity, and then we had some steady injection happening. Um, into August and September, we had a large period of sourcing where we were withdrawing water from the reservoir to supply some of our fracks in the area. And following that source, you can see how the, the reservoir pressure, the bottom hole pressure has dropped quite significantly. And following that period after the sourcing, we had low levels of seismicity that were happening in the area. Um, but after that period, we started to flow back some of the wells that we had fracked, and so we had some pretty continuous and high-rate injection that was happening up until December and into January. And so you can see our reservoir pressures continued to increase, and our seismicity was increasing as well, as well in both frequency, so event count per day, and in magnitude. So the big takeaway from these plots is that we observed that there is a correlation between downhole reservoir pressure and seismicity generation as well. Um, the next slide that we're going to look at, we're going to zoom in on this high event count area, which was from January until early February. So in these two plots, what we're looking at is a higher fidelity version of the injection flowing data for the three disposal wells. Um, so 
you can see the, the ups and downs and some of the starts and stops that the wells had over this period. And then on the bottom plot, you can see that we have magnitude versus time. Um, and one of the things that we noted here is that when we had a high injection rate of change, so those abrupt starts and stops or changes of rate, um, we can correlate those spikes in the graph back to some of the larger magnitude events that we had during this time period. Um, and these starts and stops are sometimes referred to as a water hammer. So we were observing that phenomenon during uh, January and into February. So having seen all this seismicity, we, we needed to take a step back and look at the bigger picture here. So we had two key objectives that we had in mind. We want to minimize the frequency and reduce the magnitude of seismic events below felt threshold. And we still want to maintain and maximize the longevity of our cadmium injection wells. So we start at square one. In order to make induced seismicity, you need to have a favorable stress regime, which is something we clearly have. We need to have sufficient reservoir pressure, so pore pressure, which we clearly also have. And we need to have susceptible faults that are oriented um, in a direction that are likely to slip in our current stress regime, which we also have. So if you're not familiar with more circles, I have a few of these diagrams that are going to pop up on the bottom of the screen. So they're a really handy way of representing what the stress looks like in a formation or a reservoir. And so I've modeled out what's happening in the cabin. So on the bottom, on the x-axis, we have effective stress, which is your stress minus pore pressure. And your stresses will be your SH max, your SH min, and your vertical stress. And then on the y-axis, we have shear stress. Um, all of these little dots represent a fault in a different orientation, and the color of the fault represents the delta of pore pressure that you would need to force um, those faults into failure, um, so to push them past this critical stress line. And when you push them into failure, that's when you get your seismic event. So this first more circle represents what our initial reservoir looked like before we had started injecting into the catamen, their initial reservoir conditions. And then we modeled out what our reservoir looked like when we reached maximum reservoir pressure, so in that January to early February timeline. Um, so you can see the Moore circle has shifted to the right, or sorry, to the left, and the, the Moore circle is now touching that critical failure line. So it, it doesn't take much, it just takes a little bump, or as we were seeing, that water hammer to push these faults into failure and trigger those seismic events. So if we look at, at this recipe for induced seismicity, we can't change the stress regime, we can't change the fault, but we can have an influence on the pore pressure. And because Oventus Water Resource Hub is a full recycling system, we are actually able to withdraw water, which reduces the pore pressure. And if we can reduce that pore pressure, we can pour, pull that more circle away from that critical stress line. So we developed our target managed reservoir pressure um, and in order to do that, we were going to have to remove a lot of water from, from the cabin. So back by, all, back by all this technical work to understand the triggers of induced seismicity in our cabin, uh, we put in some significant effort to make major changes to our cabin operating strategy. First off, with the objective of reducing and then maintaining the reservoir pressure below a critical level, we undertook a major campaign February through April of this year 
uh, to source as much water out of the reservoir as we could to use for uh, completions. As a result, we withdrew over 100,000 cubes of cadmium uh, source water, and that resulted in a reservoir pressure reduction uh, averaging from 700 to 1,000 kPa. Um, going forward, we recognize that this isn't just a one-time occurrence that we really need to manage and plan to use our disposal at critical times rather than the conventional approach of using disposal on, on demand as needed. Um, and as such, we're going to continue to integrate um, kind of our planning as well as predictive reservoir modeling to integrate the use of our disposal strategy with our Montney development in the area. The second element of our modified strategy is to inject at lower rates. Uh, and so by optimizing the rates both at the well level and total field level, um, we feel that we will reduce the risk of uh, impacting the reservoir and triggering induced seismicity. So the second diagram there in the middle demonstrates over time what we've been averaging as injection, injection rates across the wells. Um, and early on, we were utilizing the wells up to almost maximum capacity, which is just, just under 300, 3,000 cubes a day of injection. Uh, we made some changes in 2020, which reduced that by 50%. And then with this latest uh, modified approach, we've reduced that further. So now we're actually uh, utilizing our wells on average about 30% of what their total injection capacity is. The third element of our modified strategy is to reduce the variability in rate. Uh, so by, I guess, making more gradual changes in ramping up the rate when we begin injection, as well as ramping down the rate when we stop injection, um, we're hoping that we'll have less of that water hammer effect. Um, and we had to undertake significant changes to our equipment to make this possible uh, in terms of resizing the equipment to give ourselves better operability at the lower rates. Um, that's work that we've just recently finished. Uh, and then the third diagram on the right there, this is an example of one of the wells we've recommissioned the disposal um, and now have a gradual procedure to increase rates. Uh, you know, in this example, something over 24 hours versus kind of an instantaneous startup that we saw before. With these three elements, I think we'll be able to continue to use the empirical data and results that we gather and continue to make changes to improve, um, I guess, our operational strategy go forward. So our final slide here, this is the, the same format of plot that we saw on the, the previous slide. So on the top pane, we've got our bottom hole reservoir pressure. Again, we've got event count per day in the middle pane and then injection volume. Um, you can see, again, we just want to highlight how significant this sourcing interval was. Um, this was over two months of withdrawing water from the cabin and you can see that we did reduce this um, about an MPA or the bottom hole pressure about one MPA. Uh, so you can see reservoir pressure comes, came down, our seismicity was decreasing in frequency and magnitude during this period where we had no injection. And since then, we've had relatively steady pressure in our reservoir, and we've had steady background seismicity as well, although at reduced rates to what we were previously seeing. And then you can see by comparison that while we have used some injection, we've made efforts to reduce that uh, in quantity and, and, um, and the, the, the rates that we're putting them into the reservoir. So overall, with our, with 
modified conditions. So when we were injecting high rates and high quantities, we reached a maximum magnitude of magnitude three. Uh, on average, we were reporting about 1.6 events per month that were over the 1.5 BCODC reporting um, regulation. And then we reached a peak of seven events that were greater than a magnitude 1.5 um, during this time period. Uh, but since we introduced our modifications and our mitigations, the maximum magnitude we've seen is a 1.92. Uh, we've halved the amount of reportable events that we've had. We're now averaging about 0.8. And our peak uh, event count per month greater than 1.5 is down at 2. So we're very pleased with these results. Um, we're going to continue to make improvements, and we're going to continue to manage the pressure in this reservoir. And we believe that we've reached our goal. So we, we've depressurized, we've reduced the maximum magnitudes and event frequencies. Um, we haven't had any reported felt events since we implemented these modifications. And you know, we hope that there is a line of sight to maintain the longevity of these catamaran injection wells. Final slide, we want to throw some acknowledgments up here to all the individuals and teams that have contributed to managing induced seismicity at Ovensive. And we want to thank our partners at CDGR, um, TGS Canada and Pulse Seismic for granting seismic show permission and to the BCOGC for their collaboration as we, we learn on this topic. Thanks very much. We'll take questions.